Are you all done? You all greeted out? Good morning. Some of you need more greeting than others, so we're going to be here all day. I don't know if they told you, it's an all-day service. It's an all-day opportunity. Forget all those big lunches and everything you have planned afterwards. I'm just glad to be here with you guys this morning. You know, it's a beautiful day at Lighthouse, and the beautiful thing for a lot of you today coming and spending some time in this church is this little community church has been right smack dab in the middle of the city since 1948. 1948 across the street, the original chapel's still there. You're free to go visit it afterwards. It's where the kids all drop off. That's the original chapel over there. And I can't help but think about what it was like in 1948 to be part of, I think it was called Fair Harper, 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 something. It was not, was not Costa Mesa yet. It was, it was Harper. It was Harper. And according to the pictures that we have, everything to the left of us on that street was chicken coops. Chicken coops. You know what chickens are, right? You guys remember? Think about chicken coops. Apples, orchards, like it was this part of town for some reason was very agricultural. And like the development of oil in the back bay, like there was this one or two oil derricks going up. And I'm thinking, no environmentalists must have been here yet. Because <laughs> right, right now, I mean, if you did anything over there, like if you just carried a rake over there, someone would be like screaming at you, right? But it has survived and then it thrived under the beautiful leadership of Newman, a pastor that was, uh, who that hall is actually named, named for, Newman. And then they came over here like in the mid-50s, and they built this beautiful old-school community church. And every time that I get a chance to walk in here, and any, uh, for the staff, on behalf of the staff of the church, on behalf of the ministries of the church, from children's ministries to youth ministries, we have youth pastors upstairs, we had a young adult drummer up there, we have our children's ministry across the street, we have men's ministry, women's ministry, all these different things. I just want you to know something. We are so grateful that today you decided to wake up and celebrate Easter, because Easter and Christmas ultimately provide the entire world this opportunity that we feel blessed every Sunday to be part of. And it's called the body of God. And so we want to invite you to be welcome this morning. If you have any questions about anything happening in the church or any of the involvement from our preschool across the street, which is absolutely um, just famous. I mean, I, I can only think of Marge being famous. She's actually raised four generations of preschoolers to where preschoolers have now come back with their kids. So that is the kind of legacy that we have been blessed to be part of. So... If you guys know the history of the church and everything that's been around, I mean, God has been both protecting and using this church for many, many years. And so I'm Pastor Jeff Lee. I'm relatively new to the church, only been here like five years, six years. But on behalf of the staff and the others, like I said, just welcome. If you have questions, just a couple of things you can see on the back of the seats, there's connection cards. Uh, get connected to, like, let's say you want to do baby dedications. We're going to have baby dedications in a couple months. I was talking with someone about baptism this morning. We have a phenomenal Behind those two trees right there, and that little window opens up. It is an old-school 500-gallon submersible swim tank, okay? It's not just a baptism. I could do your whole family. Let's say you've got, you guys have been waiting, and you've been struggling. You're like, well, we, we want to go to Pirate's Cove, because that's where it's cool, and the cameras are down. It's better than Pirate's Cove. We have a heater in there, okay? <laughs> and it's the kind of heater that's an old-school filament heater, so it will kill you if you touch it while it's on all right so that's that's how we are about heating the water up we shut it off and then firing does all that but we're just we're excited about all the different things that the church has and so 
for whatever reason you're here, thank you. If you need to connect with us in the back of the boxes, uh, there's little four white little boxes at the back of the church. You can tithe, you can ask questions, you can get baptized, you can join a small group for men or women's, whatever it is. Um, I just feel the need to tell you all that all those things exist here because sometimes we forget the community church and what it actually offers. It offers everything. This is a small church with even my front row sitting here, my fishing ministry. I mean, my fellow fishing, but we actually have a full-blown fishing ministry where you can sign up for charters and do all kinds of fun stuff. So whatever you want to do, please uh, consider doing it with us. Now, I'm also a chaplain for the police department. And because of that, this year has been very interesting for me as a pastor and a chaplain. Unfortunately, it's been one of those seasons in life where some people have decided to kind of go home and be with the Lord. And because I get a chance to kind of stand bedside with a lot of different people, when it comes to Easter and the opportunity to share with you today, I couldn't help but think about something. In my life, in my time of kind of being that person that gets to walk people through in those final days, moments, and hours, in light of what Easter actually means, I thought I would share with you something that the Lord laid really heavy on my heart today. And that is for people whose hope is in Jesus Christ. Yes, absolutely. For people whose hope, we love babies, don't worry, no baby will ever throw me off. For people whose hope is in Jesus Christ, there's a way in life that they live and a way in life that they get to go that is so monumentally different than anything else you will ever experience. And this morning, that's what I want to share with you. I've titled today's message, Living Hope. And at the end of this message, I have a very special video that I would like to share with you guys. Um, and I just want you to realize something that if you hadn't thought about it, sometimes it's easier to not think about things like this, but spend a little bit of time today thinking about something. What is it about some people who have the opportunity to face incredible sickness or even death, but yet face it with kind of this smile on their face as if to say, it's not that it's easy to go through, but because of my hope in Jesus Christ, it's tolerable. I understand what he's doing with it. So let me pray this morning, and uh, I'll begin this message. Uh, this is going to be living hope for Jesus Christ. Father God, this morning, I thank you for the opportunity to just gather people. You know, if there's nothing more that Easter and Christmas provide, it's an opportunity for everybody to realize that this world that we live in, this thing we call a calendar, the, the watches on our hand that keep time, all these different things we take for granted. But for some reason, we all know there's something bigger than that. We know it's, it's more than Easter bunnies and, and colored eggs and all these other things. We know there's something about Easter that just says so significant, so important. And I would pray, Father, this morning that you would not only speak to your people, Father, but speak to the people that are even listening online. Choose today, Father, to tell them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That there is only one way. There is only one truth. And there is only one life. And that life was given on an old rugged cross some 2,000 years ago that we could stand here today and say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share your word. We do it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So I want to tell you the one thing that I noticed. The one thing that I noticed was there was about four different responses that I continually kind of see in this bedside approach. And the one time I finally got enough courage to ask somebody that was kind of bedside with someone and had such an amazing attitude, I finally kind of just tapped him on the shoulder and I said, look, I've been making notes over this last year. I've been kind of writing down some different thoughts and observations. And one thing I realize is every once in a while, someone will walk in this room. Now, in this particular instance, it was Barbara's passing. And when Barbara was passing, I got a chance to sit with her and see a lot of different people come in and kind of sit with her and say their goodbyes. 
And I finally got to sit with someone, and I said, what is it that allows you to sit with her and yet be so jovial? I mean, literally, like, excited. I don't know if you guys had the pleasure of meeting Merv when Merv was here, but man, this church learned a lot by having someone like Merv show us what it meant to be someone who lives jovial no matter what life it presented to her. And that individual said simply this to me, Pastor Jeff, I'm not saying goodbye, I'm simply saying until. And I said, until what? And he said, until I see them again. And I realized something. I wrote down some of the responses. That's just not the case for most people. Matter of fact, the number one reality that I faced when I stand bedside with someone in a difficult situation is the response where the individual is so tormented and so kind of distraught about the situation that it almost seems overwhelming. I, I wrote the word anguish down. And I don't know if you thought about that, but why would someone stand next to someone in this kind of final moment, and yet the person who's dying, right, should be the person who's in anguish, and yet the individual who's trying to bring comfort, who's trying to bring some kind of understanding to the situation, they themselves seem to be in anguish. And as a pastor and as a chaplain, I'm constantly trying to figure out when is the time to jump in? When is the time here to supersede and say, hey, look, let me offer you something that can help walk you through this. And even so, it doesn't happen sometimes for people. They just simply feel like the loss of life, the loss of someone they care about is so overwhelming that it's unprocessable. Other people will walk in and simply realize this. As soon as they see someone in an incapacitated state or someone who's in a difficult state, they simply shut down. They shut down and they go straight to the weather or some kind of menial, trivial kind of incident as if there was nothing to talk about. And it's kind of a default mechanism that their body just says, I'm not going to be able to process this. I'm not going to be able to talk about bringing any kind of hope or encouragement to them. So I'm just going to shut down and talk about something like the weather, which I was talking about quite a bit today because it's supposed to be 80 and I was freezing. So, <laughs> so I won't do that with you. The third group of people come in and they'll look at me, they'll kind of look at the individual, they'll look at the situation, and instantly they kind of do this, you know, the comedian's face, and they kind of put on this happy face, like, I'm ready, like, I'm, I, I've been planning for this all day, and they sit down and they just crumble. They just crumble. They're just, there's just nothing there. There's, no, there's nothing to draw from the bag. There's no well to pour water into this dry cup. And they literally, in the fakeness of their own heart, realize I'm being exposed. I have nothing to say to this person I care so desperately about. I have no way of encouraging this individual. What is the point of this whole thing? And you literally see them kind of with their head down and a frustration taking over. But there are just a few, and I mean a few, relative to every situation I kind of in. It's, it's interesting. Sometimes it's almost like you're waiting and waiting and waiting for that one person to come in there that absolutely not only understands the situation, but literally basks in the glory that is a bedside situation. And for those few people that understand, the one thing that I got from them was this. When I understand what I'm about to say to this individual is not the final conversation, but instead a simple reminder to that individual that you and I both know what this means, and I will see you in a little bit. The reality of someone that gets to share that kind of hope with them means this. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but when you say goodbye to someone, like there's a TV show about these Alaskan people that live on a boat and moved around and lots of, have you guys seen that show with the Alaskan Bush family? They never say goodbye to each other, ever. They have this little thing and they always say, until, okay? And this is where I kind of started thinking about, when you think about the reality of what heaven's going to be one day, 
When you think about the reality of what Easter has actually paved the way for us to have one day, the reality is that we get to spend the rest of our lives, eternity, with those that we love and care about. When you think about the reality of what it's going to be to see someone who has passed on, when you get the reality of seeing them in those last days or moments and the difficulties that they were going through and realizing that one day that body will be fully restored and not just restored for a minute or like Lazarus restored only to die again, right? But full restoration for the fullness of eternity. I can tell you this, there's a living hope that comes into that situation that reminds you, I can't wait to be in heaven with my friends and family for eternity. Now, this is a church that loves making disciples. Matter of fact, it's part of our slogan, right? We'll make disciples who love God, love one another, and serve their community. And I can tell you and think, there's no greater love that you can show your friends, that you can show your family, that you can show even your neighbors, right? There's no greater love that you can show them than to show them the resurrection love of Jesus Christ, right? We all know the verse, no greater love is this, than a man lay down his life, right, for his friends, I mean, the fact that the Almighty would call us friends, that he would die for us while we were still in our state of sin, it's just an amazing thing to me. And so as I get ready to read this passage to you this morning, I just want to encourage you. This is one of those things like I was talking with someone this morning about the difficult things in life, okay? Public speaking and death, right? For everybody, everywhere, and throw in taxes because we're kind of near March right now, okay? Public speaking, death, and taxes, but for, for believers, for those whose hope is in Jesus Christ, the Bible says there is no sting. And I'm about to share with you why today we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no sting. Death, where is your sting? Because of the living hope that Jesus Christ provided on the cross. I'll be reading Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Um, this is from the NIV. By the way, there's some Bibles in the back of your chairs. If you came in the building today and you do not own a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. If the Bible that you're pulling out is not crisp and clean, we have brand new ones. We're more than willing to give anyone who walked in this building today who doesn't have a Bible a Bible. It's the, one of the most significant things you could have in life. It is basic instructions before leaving earth. So please make note of what the Bible is actually for. Okay, I'm going to read. Here we go. This is Matthew 28, 1 through 10. This is the uh, Sabbath story. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and then sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know what you're looking for, Jesus, who was crucified, but he is not here. He has risen, just as he has said, so come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, now I have told you. So the, woman, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clapped at his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Now go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee, for there, I, there they will see me. The hope of Jesus was not, let me tell you, and you hope for it. The hope of Jesus was, here I am, 
I told you so. Now go tell everybody that I will see you later. The Bible's version of hope is so much different than our version of hope. Think about it. When we meet somebody who's going through a difficult situation today and we're like, oh man, I understand you're going through a really difficult situation right now. I hope it gets better, right? What we're saying is since I have no control over anything and you have no control over anything, we're all just puppets being tossed around in the sea. I wish we could do something about it, right? But that's not the hope that this passage is telling us that we have access to. There's a different kind of hope that comes from the word of God. What kind of hope is it? It's the kind of hope that says this. This is from Peter, first, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Hope fully in the grace that is coming to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is we shouldn't just desire it or be uncertain of it. We should hope fully knowing that it is in fact true. How true is it? It's a matter of confidence for the believer. It's a matter of competence for the believer to first understand what the word of God says and then confidence to say, but if the word of God says it, even when I don't understand it or don't believe it, it's still true. Fully confident. How confident? Hebrews 6 says this. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. So hope can be defined as this. Full assurance, strong confidence in this, that what God has said will completely be taken care of, right? Now, I don't know about you, but maybe this morning you came in here and you were hoping for something about the day. Maybe you're hoping for a broken relationship to be mended or hoping that you could even just be dressed and on time, whatever it is. Like I said, we've, we've minimalized what Easter ultimately brings to us when it comes to hope. The hope that God wanted us to have in this is the hope of what the resurrection is teaching us. The resurrection teaches us there's a hope that we can present other people that they're desperate for. You have people all around you right now that are desperate for what you have and take for granted, right? I've said this before, and I will say it a million more times. If you had, if one of you in this building had the cure for cancer, would you be sitting in here today? Would today be a struggle to you in any way, shape, or form? Maybe today you're sitting in here and you have the cure for cancer. At some point, the priority of you getting that cure for cancer out to all the people that have cancer is going to be what? A high calling in your life, right? Because you have something that's putting people in pain. You have something that's taking people's lives every single day. Yet the reality of what Easter provides a believer is we have hope for something even cancer can understand. We have the hope for death itself, right? Because even Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, had to face it again. Even if you have the cure for cancer, there's still something else that's going to take somebody's life, right? The Bible says it's been appointed once for a man to be born and one for, a man, one for a man to die. So there's nothing we can do about that. So what can we do about it? We can give them the hope that comes from Christ that says, but there's a different way to live. What's the different way to live? Well, I look back to James 2. Remember when James 2 was talking about dead faith? Dead faith? So the opposite of dead faith is the faith that has no works, no fruit, it is unproductive. So, so when I'm talking about a living faith, I'm talking about a faith that's fruitful, fertile, and full of hope. It's a hope that produces life change. So when someone says, well, I met Jesus, I had an encounter with Jesus, I always tell them this. If you had an encounter with Jesus, your life could never be the same. If you really stepped foot in front of Jesus and had an encounter with him, your life couldn't be the same because we see that in the apostles. We see that in the disciples. We know the kind of lives that they lived B.C., before Christ, right? Then we see the kind of lives they lived afterwards. 
But it's also very curious to me because something happened in salvation for those guys. Even though Jesus died and left all those guys scattered, his very ones that seen everything that he did every day, they scattered back to their old jobs when he hung on that cross. They all lost hope. And so Jesus, knowing that, said, you know what, there's something in salvation that I give you, the opportunity for me to come back. And we're going to find out that Jesus not only comes back, but he spends 40 days and appears to over 500 different people. What is he instilling in them? The hope that says, look, I understand what it means to struggle. I understand what it means for you to go through doubt and fears and phobias. But you guys just need to understand something. 2,000 years ago, it was promised. And 2,000 years later, we get to stand here in that promise. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. It's a message that's preached time and time again. If we don't have the resurrected Christ, if Christ is not seated at the right hand of the Father today in heaven, what do we actually have? As Ken came up here and gave briefly in the announcements, what we have is nothing, right? We have a hot air balloon with no air in it. We're sitting on the ground and we have nothing to talk about. If there's no hope from the dead, if there's no hope for the firstborn of the dead, if Jesus hasn't fully forgiven everything that we've done, I mean, when you talk about the overwhelming thing that most people have, it's a guilt sense, right? We have this guilt that we've done so much that how could God actually forgive us? The reality is this, that Jesus says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. That's the key, right? It's not that we're not going to have condemnation. We have condemnation, but when we're in Christ, that condemnation is covered. I got a couple more passages here that I think will help me understand that. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 says this. Jesus Christ died for our sins. According to the scripture, he was buried and rose again on the third day. And that means to us that we have this concept of a new living life. We're born again. Okay, This is something that's kind of baffled people for years um, even the Pharisee, when Jesus told him he needed to be born again, he tried to rationalize the actual process of birth again, right? It's a very confusing process. It simply means this, in layman's terms, that the life that you live B.C., before Christ, upon meeting the living, breathing, resurrected Jesus Christ, who claimed to be the Messiah, upon meeting him and asking him to come into your life and receiving forgiveness of your sins, the Spirit of God then comes inside of you and you have this opportunity to be born anew. Okay? You're still in that same old frame. I'm still in my same old frame. My old frame has got all kinds of issues, right? But inside of this old frame is now the spirit of God that's living and breathing. Um, the spirit of God is the word pneuma. When you guys talk about pneumonia, when you get pneumonia, that's that wind, their breathing thing. I always try to associate things in real life with things that are biblical. The pneuma, the spirit of God that's now living in you means even though you used to be someone who did, let's say you drank a lot or smoked a lot or cussed a lot or did whatever you felt like was just just status quo. A new life in Christ means the spirit of God is now breathing in you and says, you know what? We don't do those things anymore. There's a different way to live. There's a way to live that provides a living hope for all those around us. You saw this at Pentecost when the church was first born. You saw this many different times, but one of the ways I think you ultimately see the Spirit of God move is the fact that even though his disciples turned and went back to their old ways, that he came back to them and sat with them and retaught them. He didn't just give up on them and go, seriously, guys, I've been, here, I've been here 33 years. I spent the last three years of ministry nonstop. You've seen thousands and thousands of miracles and amazing acts. And what do you do? You're not even listening to anything I told you. Remember when I told them, destroy this temple, and I will what? I will rebuild it in three days. They, they said the temple took 40 years to build, and you're going to rebuild it in three days? He said, you just weren't listening to what he was saying. And so he sits back down with them, and he says, this is what I'm saying. I am the, uh, I am the resurrection. And if I am the resurrection and your hope is in me, then your hope is not dead faith, it's living faith. 
which means to me as I stand here right now in front of you that I can declare to you as we stand here right now, 10, 9.45, 10.45, Costa Mesa, the 9th of uh, April, Jesus Christ is alive and seated on the right-hand throne of God right now as we speak. The person that we are speaking about, the person that has gathered us all here today, is alive and well and listening and fully involved in this passage today. That is a huge comfort to me. That is a huge comfort to me that I can offer something to you, whether I've known you five minutes or five years. I can offer you something today that you can take back and insert into the worlds that you live in. You can become the salt of life. You can go back because I'm not going to be there. Our elders aren't going to be there. The other staff pastors aren't going to be there. No one from our staff is going to be able to help you. You have the opportunity today to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ because if the Spirit of God is living in you, then that's what you bring when you go to the Easter service or dinner or whatever you're about to do the rest of the day. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, what do we have? We have nothing. So what is confirmed? What is confirmed in Mark 10, 45 is that Jesus ransomed us from sin he ransomed us okay we were held captive we were literally held captive in our sin and jesus came down and paid that price that ransom price for our sin that no bank no agency and no family could have paid it also besides confirming does this it declares first first corinthians 15 says this if christ has not been raised like i said our faith is futile and we're still in sins but since he has been raised and your sins are forgiven you can cast yourself upon him having our sins forgiven is one thing but the realization that we can cast ourselves upon him with whatever we have it confirms it declares it declares that he's alive and that he's well and everything he said whether we understood or not has come to be true it also says this that he promises to come and get us again if i go and prepare a place for you I will come again and get you, right? That where I am, you might be also. Man, that's really exciting for me because I don't know about you, doing a little remodeling right now. Uh, my house is pretty small. I live in a townhome in Costa Mesa. But he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you that. But to know that he's coming for us and that he's been, I mean, he built this, everything that's around us, right? Everything that you love about this world. You know, when you have a, a wrong thought about heaven, you think, oh, sitting on clouds and playing harps. And, well, that just sounds so ethereal and confusing, but that's not real to me. I'm a human being. This is my home. This is what, what's known to me. But the reality of what God has recreated and what Jesus is going to come back and restore us to one day is a perfected earth, right? It's a perfected earth with no biting bugs and no thorns and thistles and none of the things that are part of the, of the, of the situation where we're under a curse of sin right now, right? And that's why the shark comes up and eats us and we can't just pet him, right? It says one day that the lion and the lamb are going to lay down. Well, I don't know about you, but if you walk up to a lion right now, you're on your own. I'm just not going with you in that situation, right? Right now, he's under your food. And uh, if you want to take that chance, there's plenty of videos on YouTube to show you what happens when people want to take selfies near the lion cages. It's just, it's just their nature, right? But imagine a world where Balaam's donkey is not the only one talking. Imagine a world where when Adam and Eve were created, it was perfection. See, we've lost connection. Me and my wife were talking about this week. We've lost connection with the fact that God created things. God designed things. And he designed us to actually be in control of the animal world. 
right? We're the ones who named them. We're the ones who cared for them. If you ever wonder why your dog means so much or your cat means so much or your bird or your fish for God's sake, whatever it is, your animal that you care about is because you were designed to care for them. Everything we don't understand about who God is, it's all right here in God's word. And part of what the resurrection reminds us is there's a way that we were meant to be that's not yet. But there's a way that we were meant to be that because of that in instrument of, of death and destruction, right? You don't see no um, electric chair hanging on people's walls today, right? That would be ridiculous. But you know what that is? That's worse than the electric chair 2,000 years ago. That is the implement of destruction. And it wasn't brought up to be something that Christians could embrace and celebrate. No one's putting it on a wall 2,000 years ago and thinking, this is going to be jewelry one day, right? And this is going to be phenomenal. And we'll put them on our cars and we'll tattoo them and we'll do everything with them, right? This is an implement of death. You understand that, right? You need to, someone said this last week, um, Pastor Jeff, when you talked about Palm Sunday, I was looking at palm trees completely different the whole week. You should be, right? Now, when you drive by a palm tree and you see it swaying, I want you to think about what it means. And I want you to think about some of these things because this is how the devil steals our joy, right? We take things for granted. We don't understand the actual cost of freedom. We love to spend Memorial Day or Veterans Day talking about oh, five seconds of appreciation, but the reality is the blood and sweat equity of an individual who fought on a foreign land gives us the freedoms that we have today, right? Why do we only celebrate that one day a week? Why do we only celebrate that one time a year? Because you know what we do 364 days a week? We forget it. Why is Easter only one time a year? I don't know, but I know one of the problems that I have and one of the things I appreciated so greatly when we got rid of the giant TV that was up there and put a giant cross up there, I need to be reminded. Do you? I need to be reminded. Easter needs to be something that I celebrate every day because the living hope of Jesus Christ allows me as a pastor, as a chaplain, as a father, as a friend to go bedside and say, hey, look, she, she, she might be going in your mind. He might be going in your mind. They might be gone in your mind. But if they knew the Lord, if their hope was in the Lord, they've never been more home than where they are right now. And they're outside of time now. We're the ones trapped inside of time now. They're outside of time now. And when we see them again, when I see my best friend, when I get a chance to see my best friend who passed away the week I graduated from seminary, was hit by a car, and the first act I got to perform as a pastor was to bury my best friend 28 years. When I get a chance to see him again, it's not going to be like, where have you been and what have you been doing, right? They're not under that pretense. We are under that pretense. It's just going to be like, when I see him, it's going to be like, yes, Kenny, my brother, right? I don't know about you. It depends on, I guess it really just depends. All of us have lost at different levels. So it really just depends on how much we long for those who are lost. And I'm just one of those people who longs for every person to know the good news of Jesus Christ. That it doesn't have to just be good news for Easter. Easter does not release information in singularity and say, okay, today is the only day you can think about it, and then tomorrow go back to your regularly scheduled lives. Right? We have baptisms coming up in two months. We have baby dedications coming up on Mother's Day. We have a lot of things that what the church is supposed to do is help us remind us what basic instructions are before leaving earth. Who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? Why do we feel and sound and smell and taste like the rest of the world? We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be different. 
We're not supposed to be the place you go and and become chastised for being different. There's not a perfect person in here, myself included. All of us have that common ground and bond. One thing is that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. You don't get to come right and get yourself right and then come to the Lord. You come as is, right? The people that stood before that cross 2,000 years ago had to deal with that issue as is. And even when his guys failed him again, he didn't turn his back and say, seriously, three years of nonstop ministry with you and you run back to fishing and you run back to tent building and you run back to this and you run back to this? Get back over here. Sit back down again. Let's go. Let's eat. Let's talk about this again. Let's fire it all back up. I love you guys, but you've forgotten more than you've remembered. And I don't know about you, but I'm under that same pretense. I, I forget way more than I remember. Now, I am not one of those people who likes to tap on the emotional protocols, right? Like when it comes to church, when it comes to sitting here today, but I want you to realize something. This entire week, as I've been praying about what I'm about to share with you this last few minutes, I've been praying about it the whole week because I think if we don't see Easter in light of what it really is, we will succumb to the things that it has become. Does that make sense? And Easter has become this pastel wearing things where your wife dresses all the pastors and we look like <laughs> giant eggs you know <laughs> and me and charlie and bill didn't realize that our wives were all programmed on the same page or something to say hey you guys are gonna robin's blue okay uh lilies by the way these lilies part of what we do every year we love to buy these um i'm enjoying smelling them as you can see my allergies are really enjoying this this moment this has been great at the end of the service, we would like to offer anyone who has come today and has some kind of opportunity to take one of these home and have it be a blessing to you, they're always available at the end of the service for anyone that needs that opportunity. But I'm going to ask you guys to just have a consideration that I'm not planning on ending the service with any kind of other worship or anything else. I want to just play for you a video that God used to speak to me about this message. And it, it has a little bit from the passion of Christ, so I, I feel the need to give you fair warning. The passion of Christ was not a movie that was written so that people could go and have a good feeling about Easter. It was literally written so that people could go and have an honest take of what was actually paid for. With that in mind, I'm going to have Mark play it, and then I just want to encourage you this. I love praying. We have pastors and elders in here. We love praying. We're, we are truly an old-fashioned church. We believe that God's word is sufficient. We believe that God's word is all that we need. And I believe that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is all that I can ultimately tell you or give you. And if you've come in this building today and somehow in watching this video or somehow in hearing anything about the living hope of Jesus Christ and you feel that you need prayer for whatever reason, when this video is over, there'll be a time where we're just going to have some space and we'd love to pray with you. If you feel that you want to just put in something on a connection card and have the church call you later on, we can do that too. But do not come here today and do not leave this building without understanding something perfectly clear. Ultimately, the way that I tell you that I love you and I can show you that I love you is to tell you that this is what has changed my life. In 1978, at Hume Lake, as a 14-year-old who had continually kind of accepted Christ and accepted Christ and accepted Christ and accepted Christ, and couldn't understand why it didn't work. One conversation at one camp changed my life. And because of that conversation and that simple nature, I wake up every morning with one pounding understanding. The living hope of Christ that now lives inside of me beckons others to come join me. Follow me as I follow Christ. I pray that this video 
He'll speak powerfully to you. And like I said, after the service, I will be available for anyone who needs prayer. Mark, would you play the video?
Father God, we come before you this morning. We often forget why we love so deeply. Why a small child can evoke such a sense of love. A sunset. Uh, just a smile from a friend. So many things we have taken for granted. But the reality is we can only even take these things as far as the cross. Because Easter wasn't a singular moment in time to be remembered as if somehow in the past. But God, Easter was when you broke into time. Just like with your birth at Christmas. Why it makes coming to church at Christmas important because the hope of a Savior was born. But who would have known the point of being born was so that you could give your life a ransom? And I just pray this morning, Father, that for whatever reason you drew someone to this building, for whatever reason someone sits and watches a message online or hears this message somewhere down the road, do not take a chance that somehow tomorrow or the next day or next week you'll figure it out. That as soon as you can stop doing whatever it is that you know is not in your best interest, then you'll come to the Lord. But instead, that today would be the day when you come to the Lord. It's a simple prayer. It's been said a hundred different times, a thousand different ways. But one thing never changes. It invites a sinner to step before the cross and ask Jesus Christ to transition the threshold of standing at the door and knocking to coming in. And if you're here today and you feel God's calling you and you want to invite him in, you could say these simple words. There's nothing magical or special or about them. They're just an invitation to invite the Savior in. Father God, I invite you into my heart. I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. I receive the forgiveness of sins that Jesus had to pay for on the cross. And I would ask that going forward, you would be my Lord and Savior. Not just for this moment or this day, but for the rest of my eternity. That you would receive me, that you would write my name down in the Lamb's book of life in the blood of Christ, in an ink that's not able to be erased. And that you would protect me and guide me and lead me and show me the ways that I could show my friends, that I could show my family, that I could show my loved ones, that the greatest love we could ever share with another human being is the love that you showed us from the cross. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to humbly come before your throne. May everything that continues to happen in this church and every other church in this town and throughout the United States and anywhere today, will they will lift the name of Jesus on high. Father, may you guide 
bless and encourage because you're a good father and you find great joy in your children. We say this and do this in the name above all names, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you guys for coming today. It's kind of a somber way to end, but I just want to just invite you that if you have any things you would like to pray about, something that's still kind of pressing on your heart, I would gladly stay here for a period of time and be with you. And if not, I invite you to come back next week as we begin a book study in the book of Acts. We would love to have you join the family of Lighthouse. God bless you all. Happy Easter, and may the love of Christ go with you today. Thank you for being here today. Thank you.